Afternoon at the Synagogue The Thursday evening during these three days, Andrew had taught in a synagogue on the New Way. That Saturday or Sabbath morning, Simon Peter taught on the Kingdom. And then that afternoon, Jesus preached on the will of the Father in Heaven. At this point in time, Jesus had more followers in Capernaum than in any other city on earth. That Saturday afternoon in the synagogue, Jesus followed Jewish custom and read the first text from the law. And from the book of Exodus, he read, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water and all sickness shall be taken away from you. Jesus chose his second text from the prophets and read from Isaiah, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness may cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Spirit of the Lord shall arise upon you, and the divine glory shall be seen with you. Even the Gentiles shall come to this light, and many great minds shall surrender to the brightness of this light. In this sermon, Jesus tried to emphasize his teaching that religion is a personal experience between a son or daughter and their father. It's not a group event. Among other things, Jesus told the people, you know well that while a kind father loves his family as a whole, it's because he loves each person in that family. No longer go to the Father in heaven as a child of Israel, but rather as a child of God. Yes, as a group, you're all the children of Israel, but you are also, each and every one of you, a child of God. I haven't come to show the Father to the children of Israel, but to show His love and mercy to each person as their own genuine experience. All of the prophets taught you that Yahweh cares for His people, that God loves Israel. But I'm here to tell you a greater truth, one that a lot of the later prophets also understood. And that's that God loves you every one of you, as individuals. For all of your past, you've had a national or racial religion. Now, I'm here to give you a personal religion. But this isn't even a new idea. Many of you who are more spiritually attuned know this truth, and some of the prophets have also taught this. Haven't you read in the scriptures where the prophet Jeremiah says, In those days they shall no more say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Every man will die for his own crimes. Every man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Wait and see. The day will come when I'll make a new contract with my people. Not the same as the promise I made with their fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, 
but the new way. I'll even write my law in their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. In those days, they won't say one man to another, Do you know the Lord? No, for they will all know me personally, from the least to the greatest. Haven't you read these promises? Don't you believe the scriptures? Don't you understand that the prophet's words are fulfilled in what you see this very day? And didn't Jeremiah insist that you make religion an affair of the heart and relate yourselves to God as an individual? Didn't the prophet tell you that God, that the God of heaven would search your individual hearts? And weren't you warned that the human heart is deceitful above all things and oftentimes desperately wicked? Haven't you read also where Ezekiel taught you your haven't you read also where Ezekiel taught even your fathers that religion must become a reality in your individual experience no more will you use the proverb that says the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge as I live says the Lord God behold all souls are mine as the soul of the father so also the soul of the Son. Only the soul that sins will die. And Ezekiel even foresaw today when he spoke in behalf of God, saying, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. No more should you fear that God will punish a nation for the sin of a person. And neither will the Father in heaven punish one of his children for the sins of a nation. That said, the individual members of any family a lot of times suffer the material consequences of the family's group mistakes. Don't you realize that the hope of a better nation or a better world is bound up in the progress and enlightenment of the individual. Then Jesus showed them that after a man realizes his spiritual freedom, God wants him to respond to that divine urge to know God and seek to be like him and to begin the eternal ascent to paradise. This sermon did a lot to help the apostles and they all better understood that the gospel of the kingdom is for the individual, not the country. Even though the people of Capernaum were familiar with Jesus' teachings, they were still astonished at this sermon. Jesus wasn't teaching like one of the scribes, but rather like a person with authority. Just as Jesus finished speaking, a young man in the congregation had a violent epileptic attack and cried out loud enough for everyone to hear. When the seizure was over and he was still out of it and slowly regaining consciousness, he said, What are we going to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You are the Holy One of God. 
Have you come to destroy us? Jesus motioned to the people to be quiet, and then taking the young man by the hand, Jesus said, Come out of it. Right about the time, the boy came fully awake. This man wasn't possessed by a demon. He had an ordinary case of epilepsy. But he'd been taught that he was sick because he was possessed by an evil spirit. He believed this and behaved accordingly when it came to his disease. Back then, everyone believed sickness was a result of possession by evil spirits. So, of course, they all believed that Jesus had cast a demon out of this young man. But Jesus didn't, at that time, cure his epilepsy. It wasn't until later after sundown that he was healed. A long time after the day of Pentecost, the Apostle John, who is the last of the apostles to write about Jesus' life, avoided all reference to these so-called acts of casting out devils. He did this in light of the fact that cases of demon possession never occurred after Pentecost. News of Jesus casting the devil out of the young man spread like wildfire throughout the area, and a lot of people believed the story. In the Zebedee household, which was fairly large, Simon Peter's wife and her mother, Amantha, did most of the cooking and housework. On the way back from the synagogue, Jesus and some of the others stopped by Peter's house to visit with Amantha because she had been sick with chills and fever for several days. Now, just as fate would have it, the fever left this woman at the same time that Jesus was there holding her hand and encouraging her. And of course, since it was right after what had happened with the epileptic guy, epileptic guy in the synagogue and them all remembering what had happened with the wine in Cana, well, some of the people at the house with Jesus rushed out to tell everyone in the city about it before he could stop them. Now, Peter's mother-in-law, Amantha, had malaria. Jesus didn't heal her at that time. It wasn't until several hours later, after sundown, that she was cured in connection with the extraordinary events that took place in Zebedee's front yard. But these cases show how that wonder-seeking and miracle-minded generation grasped at anything to say that Jesus had done another miracle. Okay, folks, that's it for part one of chapter 24, Four Eventful Days in Capernaum. We'll finish up with part two here in a few days. I'm, uh, I'm working on speeding this project up. It uh, feels like there's a, 
a sense of urgency in the world these days to get this word out there. So we're going to move it a little quicker. No real schedule. Just when I get them done, you'll get them. All right. Defend liberty. Protect your kids. Find some way to serve man for nothing more than the sake of God. Bobby Keys are out here.